Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Mom. Luke. What's up? You know, I always try to give you a warning when there's going to be some explicit content on 30 Pop. Yeah. Is it Aaron? There's not any like profanity on this episode, but there is an acronym that you're not going to like. Who used it? Well, I used it, but I'm referring to an album title. So... (sighs) I know you're especially sensitive to this sort of stuff, so I just thought, you know, I better let mom know. Well, thank you. Because, you know, we're actually going to be talking about it a lot the next few weeks. Maybe I just won't even listen. (laughs) Maybe I'll just skip it. You let me know when it's safe to come back. I don't say the word. Although, if you're not going to listen, I might. No, don't. You don't. If it's wrong for me to hear it, it's wrong for you to say it. (laughs) Then you have to promise to listen. If you don't want me to say it, you have to listen. I might. Okay, well, let me know, because I'm going to say it if you don't. No, don't say it. Lucas, you were raised better than this. Oh, Mom. I'm just being a responsible reporter. I'm reporting the news as it happened 30 years ago, and this acronym was a part of pop culture. There's nothing I can do about it. You don't have to report on everything you hear, (sighs) do you? I think a responsible journalist does, so. What I know is God forgives all right mom i love you i'll talk to you soon i love you too goodbye bye mom from mill you media group this is 30 pop a weekly peek back music movies sports fashion politics and news from 30 years ago i'm your host luke braun this is season three episode 24 lj iron mike and the nielsen Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, June 29th, 1991. Welcome, beloved fellow nostalgia junkies, to another episode of 30 Pop. Our summer of truly spectacular Hollywood blockbusters continues on today, and I couldn't be happier to have you here for the fun. Admittedly, I'd say that even if I didn't like you, but in this case, I really, really do. You and I clearly share a common love for the world we knew 30 years ago, so what a gift it is to connect each week over our shared memories of those sweet days. Thank you, as always, for being here. We'll start today with a little 30th birthday celebration for NBA superstar Kawhi Leonard, who was born on June 29, 1991. That's right. Contrary to the rumors, Kawhi Leonard was born a real-life human boy, not assembled and programmed in some underground robotics laboratory. He didn't become a robot until years later. Happy birthday, Kawhi, and congrats on being very, very good at basketball. Also very good at basketball, although significantly less robotic, was power forward Larry Johnson, who was chosen as the number one draft pick by the Charlotte Hornets on June 26, 1991. Johnson had a truly remarkable college career and quickly became a force in the NBA as well as in popular culture throughout much of the early 1990s. That was due in large part to his alter ego, Grandmama a character he portrayed in the marketing campaigns for his shoes, and even on one episode of Family Matters. Other players drafted that night included future All-Stars Kenny Anderson, Steve Smith, 
Terrell Brandon, and eventual Hall of Fame center Dikembe Mutombo. We also saw some action in the boxing world this week in 1991. Back on episode 10 of this season, I talked about a very controversial first fight between heavyweight legend Mike Tyson and Donovan Ruddick. Controversial because it ended with a referee stoppage in the seventh round, despite Ruddick not having been knocked down and seemingly healthy enough to keep fighting. On June 28, 1991, the two met again in a fight billed simply as the rematch. Although this fight went the distance, Tyson once again prevailed, winning by unanimous decision, albeit with multiple low blows and after-the-bell cheap shots thrown in for good measure, earning him a title shot with then-heavyweight champ Evander Holyfield. We'll get into it in greater detail later, but the Note version is that that fight would be postponed for years, as Mike Tyson was a few weeks away from making some very, very bad decisions and landing himself behind bars. Just a few days before that fight, the sitcom starring Tyson's relatively recent ex-wife, Robin Givens, ended after 114 episodes spanning five seasons on the air. The series, Head of the Class, also starred Howard Hessman of WKRP in Cincinnati fame, as struggling actor-turned-inspiring high school honors history teacher Charlie Moore. Although Hessman left the show a year earlier as his character supposedly landed the lead role in a touring production of Death of a Salesman and his acting career finally took off. I remember loving this show as a kid for exactly the two reasons I've already mentioned. Howard Hessman, who I loved as Johnny Fever in WKRP, and Robin Givens, who I really loved as Robin Givens. And I wasn't alone. Givens was only 26 years old when this show ended, and she'd already been romantically involved with Eddie Murphy, Michael Jordan, and Brad Pitt, and had already obviously married and divorced Mike Tyson. Despite the 15-year gap in our ages, if my 11-year-old self had been given the chance to date her back then, I was confident we could have made things work. In music news this week in 1991, we had a new number one album in the country, this being the first album to debut on the chart at number one in the recently begun Nielsen Soundscan era as well as the first heavy metal album to top the chart in the SoundScan era, which I discussed back on episode 19 of this season. The second studio album from New Jersey rock band Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. This album was, by almost every standard, a critical success. Most critics loved it and hailed the band's growth between their first and second albums. One exception, though, was critic Robert Christgau, who, as he did with Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, which we discussed last week, called the album a dud, which leads me to two suspicions. One, Robert Christgau didn't especially like rock music, and two, Robert Christgau had a surprisingly small repertoire of adjectives for someone who made their living with words. I'm kidding. Actually, Christgau is quite possibly the most revered rock critic in the history of the genre, and he has been since the late 1960s. So if he says this album was a dud, then I believe it, regardless of the fact that it achieved double platinum certification. The number one song in the country this week in 1991 was, once again, Paula Abdul's Rush Rush. Although, once again, there were multiple songs that debuted on the chart this week that were far more deserving of that top spot, in my humble opinion. Among them, Brian Adams' career-defining single from the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which debuted at number 53, and Heavy D and the Boys' Now That We Found Love, which debuted at number 93. Both were superior in every way to Rush Rush, all due respect to Paula Abdul. At the top of the hot rap chart for the second week in a row was Cool Mode D featuring KRS-One and Chuck D with Rise and Shine, and on the hot country chart, Garth Brooks with The Thunder Rolls, also for the second straight week. We did have a new number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart, though. 
Lisa Fisher's soulful and sultry, How Can I Ease the Pain? This was the lead single from Fisher's solo debut, So Intense, and it would earn her a Grammy in 1992 for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, as well as the Soul Train Music Award for Best R&B Slash Soul Single by a Female Artist. But Fisher wasn't new to the music scene. She had already been splitting her time as a backing vocalist for both The Rolling Stones, with whom she continued touring until 2015, and Luther Vandross, with whom she continued touring until his unfortunate passing in 2005. She had also worked as a backing vocalist for artists such as Billy Ocean, Shaka Khan, Teddy Pendergrass, and Roberta Flack, and would eventually work with the likes of Tina Turner and Sting. In short, she could sing. And while I don't have any specific memories of this song, I can say it was very much in line with the R&B music I was falling in love with back in those days. Now, let's go to the movies. 30 years ago this week, we had one new notable theatrical release, and it claimed the number one spot at the box office its opening weekend, despite a significant amount of competition. Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley in the wildly successful, hilariously titled sequel, The Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Washington, D.C., where violence explodes every day. America's toughest cop is pounding a new beat. Lieutenant Drebin. The police squad is back. Is this some kind of bust? Very impressive, yes. They're ready for action. How you doing, Trooper? Ready for love. I'm lonely, I'm lost, I need someone to hold, to love. Frank, over here. And ready for seconds. In the movie that proves you can lead a cop to water, but you can't make him think. The water's over there, Frank. Starring Leslie Nielsen. I don't recall seeing your name on the guest list. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I sometimes go by my maiden name. If it's not dangerous, he's not interested. Priscilla Presley as the irrepressible Jane. Robert Goulet as Quentin Habsburg. The truth hurts, doesn't it, Habsburg? Oh, sure. Maybe not as much as jumping on a bicycle with a seat missing, but it hurts. George Kennedy as Captain Ed Hawken. Congratulations. I understand that Edna's pregnant again. Yes, and if I catch the guy who did it. And O.J. Simpson as Nordberg. Step on it. (laughs) If you only see one movie this year... You ought to get out more often. The Naked Gun 2 and a half. The Smell of Fear. Give me the strongest thing you got. This is a sequel so big, they had to add another half. I have the very fondest memories of these movies and the whole punny genre for which they remain canon. They are so, so, so stupid, but only in the very best way. 
I rewatched this movie and its predecessor this week to sort of jog my memory, and I laughed out loud in a room all by myself more times than I care to admit. There is not a single dad joke left unexplored in the script for either film, which perhaps should be off-putting, but it's not. At all. And Leslie Nielsen's simultaneously self-centered and self-deprecating delivery is no less effective today than it was in 1991. This movie kinda crushed it at the box office, making back almost its entire $23 million budget on its opening weekend alone, and eventually grossing nearly four times that amount at $86 million in the US and Canada combined, and an impressive $192 million worldwide. Or somewhere in between there. IMDb and Wikipedia have conflicting reports. Either way, it did really, really well, and I loved it. Perhaps not to quite the same degree as I loved the original, but quite a bit more than I remember loving the third film in the trilogy, The Naked Gun 33 and a Third. I think of these films as the late 80s, early 90s version of Hot Fuzz. So here's hoping we get a Hot Fuzz 2.5 at some point. Anyway, that's all I've got for you today, friends. I'll be back next week to reminisce on one of the greatest action movies of all time, but for now, I'm heading out. I do wish I could stay longer, but in the words of Lieutenant Frank Drebin, it looks like the cows have come home to roost. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 